the third place. What is that? It's not work. It's not home. It's possibly a little bit of both. Heavily regulated, licensed, place where friends, strangers, lovers meet and talk. A place that helps us get on to the next moment in our lives. The third place. The pub, the tavern, the local bar. Bar Crawl Radio is on air in local bars in New York City, reviewing the ambiance and booze and fare. Talking to the mixologist, sociologist, chef, politician, stranger, and friend. Exposing the local truths of our moment in this crazy time. Tune in to Bar Crawl Radio, broadcasting on Radio568.com. From a local bar, maybe near you. some sound from Cloghain on the Dingle Peninsula of Ireland and it was recorded about uh, two and a half weeks ago. My lovely partner Rebecca McKean and wife was just was just dancing. Let me turn off your mic a little bit. Was just dancing to that music. I was just dancing, yes. And we're going to talk more about the Cloghain event that we went to about two weeks ago in uh, on the Dingle Peninsula in a place called Cloghan on the uh, in in Ireland. I think it's Clahan. You it's don't say the clog. You don't say the clog, but it's, it's spelled C L O G H A N E. All right, so we'll we'll listen to that music a little bit later. So um, we are at the Dead Poet. It's a bar on 82nd Street in Amsterdam, and we're going to talk about the Dead Poet and have a, a little beer tasting here. It's quite appropriate that we're here there at the Dead Poet because it is a very Irish-type bar. Alex is the bartender. She's getting ready for a busy day, grinding up those, um, those lemons. This is Bar Crawl Radio. That music that we were just listening to... Um, from it's part, Yeah, it's yes. part of a... It's from Clahane on the Dingle Peninsula in Ireland. And it's part of an event called the Seolgus Craig. It's a community of event. They go and they um, play music, live music, and they have a violin and a harp and accordion. Mm. And uh, I think someone was on electric piano. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy playing guitar from New England. Right. But right. do you know the history of it? The history. You know, I... I was explained the history. Well, why don't you tell us the history... It was explained to of me. ...of the Seol August Craig. So, back in the day... I think this was maybe dating back to the 60s, 70s. Mm, not quite sure. Maybe 60s. Yeah, 60s, because they had a picture of... Um, they had the room decorated as if it would be a home of that period. So there was a lot of um, pictures of, you know, uh, religious pictures it, on it the actually, walls. It actually was someone's home at one time. Yeah, in small the building, village but it's a hostel now where they, were, where they were doing it. It's a ho- hostel, right. And there was a picture of the Kennedy center. couple... There's a camp, John and Jacqueline. Love Kennedy. So they it must have the been Kennedy. the 60s. So what, what, what it was was that the um, men would go off to pubs, right, at some point in the evening. And women weren't allowed to go to pubs at that time. So they would have these um, home events where they would invite their friends over who um, would play music. Uh, they would sing. They would dance. And they would have some tea and scones. It yeah. was five euros five to euros, get yeah. in the door, right? Right, right, right. Um, yes, and you got to listen to some really beautiful music and, you know, some older people singing who... They were very spirited. They were and spirited, we're going yeah. to feature the See All August Craig uh, event that we went to at a future podcast on Bar Crawl Radio. And we're going to, you'll hear more music and we'll play a little bit more of what that opening sound was in another, another little piece later in the show. So, where are we? This is a beautiful bar that we're sitting at. A lot of dark wood, um, very um, erudite. And uh, the wall, they have um, pictures um, and a quote that you can only see if you look in the mirror. 
which I think is very ah, clever. I was just seeing that the yeah. quote was backwards, but you only see it when you look. Even the Jameson bottles. Look at the Jameson bottles. If you look at them, they're it's backwards. But if you look through, uh, through oh, you're at right. the mirror, yeah. they've got actual Jameson bottles yeah. up there, but they're backwards. You have to look in the mirror. Yep, yep, yep. Right. It's very small and it's dead poet, and, and there's I'll a lot of dead poet pictures around. So you I want Sandberg read and Shakespeare, and I want to read a quote that yeah. they have on their wall uh, from a dead poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Oh, I remember him. And then, you know, we named our dachshund Henry Wad Wadsworth Longfellow. I thought that was very clever mm -hmm. when I was a little girl. We don't have one now. Uh-uh. And the night shall be filled with music, and the cares that infest the day shall fold their tents like the nomad, and as silently steal away. Yep. Very nice. Yeah. Henry Wadsworth. I think it's a nice quote for Henry Wadsworth bar. Longfellow. Is that who that was? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, yeah. Okay, we're, we are Bar Crawl Radio. Hi. We will hey, feature a bit more Hi. on, uh, yeah, we just, uh, Mel Wymore just arrived. We'll be yeah. speaking with him. He's uh, running for city council uh, for the Upper West Side. He's kind of pulling up to the mic here. We'll get a headset on. We're going to do a little business before we speak to Mel, um, Mr. Wymore, and uh, hear about his policy and what he's doing and what he's going to do if and when he's elected. Yeah. I think it was very appropriate that we came here right after our Irish visit. Yes. Um, in, in that, you know, we were at a lot of pubs and we were drinking a lot of Guinness. And later on, we're going to have a beer tasting uh, of some of the best beers they have here at the Dead Poet. And we'll compare them to our experiences in Ireland at uh, Brandon. And we were in Dublin and we were in... Dingle. We you were, were on Dingle. Dingle. Well, that's Brandon, right? yes. And we yes. were in uh, right near uh, Belfast. Carlingford. In Carlingford, in, mm -hmm. the, in the Republic of Ireland. Then we went over to the Northern Ireland. The Northern Ireland to Belfast. For a day. Right. So we'll have a uh, little beer test. Maybe uh, Mr. Wiremore will join us <laughs> for a beer tasting. I don't know if he drinks beer or not. He'll help us out. Okay. And we'll... Oh, okay. So he, he, just, he just said he's going he's gonna to drink some Guinness. So we're going to be back in just a second. Okay, that was a little bit from the Dingle Peninsula, the Sealgus Craig in Cahane, and the Dingle Peninsula in Ireland. And right now we have sitting next to us a person who is running for the city council of the Upper West Side. His name is Mel Wymore, and we're so glad that we have him here on Bar Pro Radio here at the Dead Poet. It's the 6th District. District 6. District the 6th District. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about who you are, what your uh, campaign uh, expectations views. are, and political views. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe, uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm great. Thank you so much. That's one, great. one week out, it couldn't be better. Right. right. It's, oh. it's been kind of, a, I guess, a long grind. How long have you been campaigning now for uh, this particular position? Since March. Yeah. Since March. Okay, yeah. so it's not like the presidential election where you start three and a half years <laughs> after mm, the thank election. Thank goodness. Not this time. I, I did that in 2013. This time it was a late decision, and uh, it's been full, full throttle for six months. It's been fantastic meeting Upper West Siders every day. Right. I, I, want, I, I do want to get back to this uh, sense that was a late decision and yeah, why, that's, why, that's why that was uh, what led you to. But let's hear a little bit about who you are. You are uh, trained as an engineer. Where'd you go to school? I went to school at the University of Arizona, where my father was a professor and one of the co-founders of the field of systems engineering. And I went uh, to school under him, got my ma uh, bachelor's in math and another in communications, and then a third, a master's degree in systems engineering. Mm -hmm. That couldn't be easy, getting a degree with your father right on top of you like was that. Was there a choice the in the matter? <laughs> there was a choice, but I did take, uh, I don't know, five or seven classes from him, which was uh, quite oh. interesting. Did did he give you good grades? He was one of those guys. You either got an A or you got an incomplete and you did it over again. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay. I did, he, did he treat you the same as everybody else? He, he treated me Or was me he harder, harder on you? Harder. Harder, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I had way. to know my stuff. I, okay, bet, I okay. bet you did. How long did you uh, actually um, practice engineering? Um, I still, it still influences everything that I do, but I actually, as a professional, have um, 
stopped in the mid 2000, like 2005, 2006 mm -hmm. time, time range. And I've done some consulting and some small business work since then. So you still and work. And political work as well. And yes. the political work, but you still do some work as an engineer. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I am willing to consult as an engineer, mm -hmm. but my preference is to bring the, the, the underlying skills of an engineer mm -hmm. to poli politics and to local issues, right. what, what problem solving with people. You know? what, yeah. what would you say are the, uh, what, I mean, a, a lawyer knows certain things and has certain skills, a teacher has, what, what is the engineer's skills that you could bring to politics? Oh, my goodness, it's so much. Uh, engineers are always consummate problem solvers, and the first thing we do is listen. We listen on a broad scale to all of the stakeholders till we really get a very deep understanding of the problem right. before we start s solving the problem. And then we bring, after bringing those stakeholders together, we develop requirements and we uh, articulate what are the available um, resources to solve those problems mm -hmm. and what are the, uh, the kind of aspirational goals to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. And then we combine what we have with what we, wh what we want and mm -hmm. we come up with solutions mm -hmm. that include all the people. That's why it's such a great skill set for right. politics. It's not a really that well widely used in politics, but it certainly is a, a different way of thinking about problem solving for communities. Right, and that's right, what right. I want to do. I was looking at your core principles on your website and it seems to be a lot of what you just said yes. about your basic thinking as an engineer you're going to be applying to if and when you're elected to the city council. 100%. Inclusion, participation, interdependence, sustainability, quality of life. These are all issues that engineers deal with every day when right. you're de designing a system or, you know, creating any, any um, tool in society. It has to have those components. How long is it going to last? How does it get replaced? Who gets to be the user? Who, who's, who's impacted by that project? These are very important questions for policy as well. So can I ask my question, Alan, because I think, it, I think it, this um, segues right into it. How did you fall on the controversy uh, about PS199 and PS199? Yes. 191 and 199, right? And um, how did this approach um, help? And for me, mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, I've got to say I'm 100% a very passionate advocate of diversity mm -hmm. and desegregation. So right. I, I've actually done so much work of that in my own children's schools. But in terms of uh, what I've learned in the process, we took my kids' school from less than 20% of socioeconomic and racial diversity up to over 40%, mm -hmm. which took a lot of work and effort and, and um, groundwork over a number of this years. This was ethical culture? Yes, ethical mm -hmm. culture yeah. fields and schools. Yeah. Great and what school. We, what we uh, oh, amazing. But what we learned in that process is you really have to bring people together, and you have to put working groups together, introduce people, have dialogues that are, are right. deep and authentic and open. And then you can do the physical desegregation process. But if you don't really empower all of the families, both the, the minority families, the low-income families, mm -hmm, and right. those with privilege to work together and be ready for that, it tends to be something that devolves into controversy, which is mm -hmm. what we've seen on the West Side. Right, right, right. And I 100% I uh, agree with the goals of diversifying, I, and, I, and I wish we would have gone even further and really done the groundwork with the families involved, mm -hmm. um, especially in the Amsterdam houses. Um, so, how about the, the outcome? Are you happy with that, with the new school? Well, um, you know, I'm super happy about the new school. That was one of my big centerpieces mm -hmm. as chair of Community Board Seven, mm -hmm. negotiating that school, and making sure that we had space uh, for every child on the Upper West Side to go be able to go to a great school with mm -hmm. a free public education. Um, so that's important to me. I myself am a public, the product of public schooling. Yep. and Our I children went to public school right here a few yeah, blocks away. Yeah, it's so yeah. important. So I'm very excited about the school opening and the fact that the, the, pe the, the people of the Amsterdam Houses community will be partaking right. of that beautiful right. new space. Right. And I, and I think we have a lot of work to do to just continue to make sure that all the families in the community are supported. So and th that every kid gets the attention they need. And that was the compromise of the first proposal of rezoning, right? This opening the new school. Well, the new school was is actually what allows for any rezoning, right? Mm -hmm. So once you got once we were able to negotiate this space, the next step was to pass that 
space onto the community education council and they were in charge of you know figuring out who's going into that space right right, right, right yeah. so that's where that conversation started at the community education council and i know they worked very hard at it you know i and i think is uh, the outcome is uh, is going to be great i just really wanted to um ho i had hoped we would be able to include some of the northern schools in harlem uh, that are struggling and have them part of this conversation mm. and a little more interaction between the, the two communities that mm -hmm. will be um, brought together in this plan before they were brought together so uh -huh. that's, right, that's right, right. my biggest issue but you know what it's a great plan and i th i think i'm very hopeful that it'll succeed and how did your views differ from helen rosenthal's well, my views in terms of, again, in terms of goals and aspiration, 100% the same. Mm -hmm. But again, as an engineer and as someone who believes in, in bringing all stakeholders together, I want to do more groundwork. I want mm -hmm. more open conversation with the people actually affected, right. not just the decision makers, which mm -hmm. are the, s the members of the CEC, and not just hearings, but actual working groups and conversations between families mm -hmm. so that they understand what's going to happen and what what kind of supports they're going to get mm -hmm. and i w and that's the kind of work that i've been doing in Your the school in yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. for 30 years uh, yeah. it's very important mm -hmm. um, that's how you get real results and mm -hmm. sustainable results mm -hmm. if you don't put in that upfront work you know it, it ends to uh, oftentimes things will devolve and decay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. You were all, you were on the community board seven and for a, for quite a number of years. I still am. I chair the budget committee, mm -hmm. uh, budget and strategy committee for community board seven. I joined 22 years ago, and I have chaired the whole board twice. Uh, I've, I've also chaired the youth committee, the small business task force, the SRO task force, the 59th Street Rec Center task force, uh, the data task force. Um, uh, we've done a lot of work over the years. Uh, I also worked in the public housing task force this last uh, few years, what, and that's been very informative to me. What, what is the link, um, the working link between the community board and the city council? Um, traditionally, the community board is an advisor to the city council and the borough president, and we are the beginning of many of the public, um, the public processes like the budget process. The community, the budget process starts at the community board level. We go through hearings and we develop a, a district need statement, and then the, our preferences for budget allocation, both capital budgets and expense budgets are offered to the city council member and the borough president for their negotiation. Mm -hmm. The same goes for um, land use review processes. The, f the clock starts when a land use proposal is presented to the community board and then the community board is the first to go through the analysis of the project and, and the holds of the hearings and develops the community's position. This is how we negotiated the new school, mm -hmm. the 600 units of permanent affordable housing, the $20 million for Riverside Park, all through uh, the land use review process that I led as the chair of the community board. Okay. You uh, were part of, I guess, through the community board, the pushing forward of the uh, Stratford Arms Meal Program? Actually, that was, uh, that was before I got onto the community board, um, you know, I was moving in with my family to a new apartment. And when, when did you move to New York? I moved here in 1988. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly thereafter, we were moving into a new apartment. And there was a single room occupancy hotel across the street. A lot of people would cross the street in order to avoid mm -hmm. that the people right, in front right. of that street. And the day we were moving in. And, and I mean, the reason was, the way I understand it, that there were elderly alcoholics there and people who were drug addicts. Uh, or correct me, what was uh, going I'm gonna on there? I'm going to correct you on that. Okay. I would say they're largely um, older people with disabilities and, okay. and in different varied degrees of disabilities and were very much um, neglected by the community at the time. And uh, the day we were moving in, a man uh, took his life by jumping out of the fifth floor oh of wow. the building. And the day you moved in. The day I moved in. And it really not only shocked me, but what was startled me more was how quickly the street went back to normal. Mm -hmm. And no one seemed to care too much about what had happened. Wow. So I talked uh, a couple of people in my building to, to join me. And we knocked on every door of that single room occupancy hotel. And what we found was truly devastating. There were people living in horrible conditions, no access to good health care, very little access to food. 
So we organized our block, we reached out to local businesses, we created a tenants association, built a food program that lasted 20, more than 20 years and Very served nice. the people there. And all of a sudden our block, which is really the, the best benefit of it all, transformed to one that was separated and divided to one that was together where uh -huh. we all knew each other and took care of each other. And to this mm -hmm. day, tenants of that building and, and our building are you know very friendly and, and help each other out. It's a nice. It was a great, great experience. My first real experience of community organizing and how to produce results mm -hmm. from doing that step across the street, reach out, and organize, talk, talk mm -hmm. get yeah. to know each other. Right. This is uh, Radio 568 and the program is Bar Crawl Radio. I'm Alan Winston. I'm here with uh, Becky Winston McCain. We're talking with candidate for the city council, Mel Wymore, and he's just telling us about his beginning as a community advocator. Was that the first step in your um, move towards politics, or had you been doing politics before then? I'd never done politics before then. I'd done other things with small businesses, like help the local karate studio, the local kids' mm -hmm. gym, things like that. But I had never actually gotten involved uh, deeply in the community. And it al always has been about the community for me. Mm -hmm. uh, when my kids started going to nursery school, I got involved at the West Side Y, and we developed new facilities for seniors there, teens, and the community theater. As a member of the community board, I was very passionate about uh, recreation opportunities for teens and for seniors. So I, um, over 15 years, raised $15 million to redevelop the 59th Street Rec Center, which had been uh, dilapidated and out of use for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just opened that last year. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful space. Uh, people can go and exercise for $50 a year. Kids have a place to go after school to gather safely without being on the streets. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing I think this community needs and we're built on are the kind of progressive values of inclusion and making sure that every member of our community has the sense of passion and compassion for every other member mm -hmm. of our community. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm really proud of the work we've done. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was the change in the business environment here uh, on the Upper West Side. We've been living here for mm, over 30 years and there used to be a lot of mom and pops here. Yeah. We used to go to a place called Happy Burger. Yes. On, uh, <laughs> I don't know, you remember Happy Burger? I remember Happy Burger. And we loved it. They made um, Becky's favorite uh, bacon. It's the, the best way. She likes it really dark. And they they crispy, come in yeah. and they'd start making her bacon right away. <laughs> Happy, Burger <laughs> left, Happy Burger left some time ago. Yes. And it seems to be we're turning around to corporate business. Yeah. Uh, what is your attitude towards that? And what would you do if you became city council? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's an epidemic on the Upper West Side. There's no question about it. We miss our favorite restaurant, our favorite bodega, our favorite bar. Mm -hmm. I remember El Emerald Inn talking about Irish bars was right across the street from my home. And, and the, oh, loss right. of the loss of Emerald Inn was huge on our community. And this is an epidemic that's been largely unaddressed by our city council or the city as a whole. It's, it's, uh, and it's a travesty because small businesses are not only the lifeblood of our community, but they employ so many people. And you know, it's, imp it's impossible for us to c have a community when all we see are change, chain stores and banks. You know, or we don't or know empty the buildings. Or empty buildings. And this is alarming. Uh, we did a survey. We have 131 empty storefronts. Uh, four years ago, the Columbus Avenue Business Improvement District boasted 100% occupancy. Mm -hmm. So you've seen a drastic decline in uh, the occupancy of its storefronts and those empty storefronts are a plague. They, they darken our streets. They um, make it that that uh, people don't feel as safe crossing in front of those empty storefronts mm -hmm. and trash builds up. It's right. just not good and, and we lose the vibrancy of our community. And it's one of the biggest reasons I'm running. You know, we've seen nothing, no mm -hmm. action. But what can you do as a city council person to bring back small business to Broadway. Well, one of the, Avenue, I mean, like I said, as chair, here we are at the Dead Poet. It's, it's a small business, and <laughs> yes. they're doing quite well. Well, some do very well, and some have very um, compassionate landlords that are reasonable and in, in charge reasonable rents. What we see, and I am a former business owner myself. I, I closed a restaurant in 2014 mm -hmm. because of the complexity of negotiating a rent so that was too high for us. Wow. And so I, I what restaurant was it? It was a Greek restaurant, on 70th Street, Loy Restaurant. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the struggles of small businesses are real. 
and we need to support them first of all just you know uh, like i said as chair of community board seven i started the first small business task force we passed the storefront zoning which was to limit banks and and big chains uh from coming into the, the community but now we have to do so much more i believe that we should be charging for long-term vacancies so you know landlords don't keep uh, their their stores open and vacant for more than a couple of years or even one year without a significant drop in rent um, and we start charging them for that so that it incentivizes you know more turnover I think we need to cut red tape for small businesses there's so many applications and permits and inspections it's almost impossible to get the work of business done let alone the barriers to entry and I also believe we should be helping small businesses renegotiate their leases so they can get a fair fair chance mm -hmm. they have no leverage at that point like right. you said you've mm -hmm. been in business for 30 years oh sorry we're doubling your rent right. you know and out you go um, and and this is the most vulnerable point for small businesses there are other things we can do like um, tax cuts for small businesses which are crazy and and like you know really respecting the legacy businesses seeing them as the cultural institutions that they are but basically, it's really finding a powerful advocate for the small business. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that uh, in anyone, any elected office. And I'm really out to be the small business advocate for the Upper West Side. Uh, we have been reporting on the Gilder Center at the American Museum of Natural History. Um, I spoke extensively with Helen Rosenthal about that last year. Yeah. She's a big supporter of the American Museum of Natural History, but not everyone does support it. Uh, there are groups who are against it. Where do you stand on this new edifice that they're building on the other side, the opposite side of the American Museum of Natural History? Okay. Um, first of all, it was a horribly mismanaged process. Mm -hmm. Any public official who allocates millions of dollars for public capital investment should be including the community in that in that uh, decision. That didn't happen, and I just think that is really un unconscionable. So that's number one. Number two. Taking away public park space is is the wrong thing to do. I understand the museum. It's a world-class institution. We need to support the museum mm -hmm. as a world-class institution. But those goals can be met without taking away park space. And I believe we should freeze those public funds until we've made sure that the park is protected, that all the impacts are addressed, and that that building is a model of sustainability, that mm -hmm. it's producing its own renewable energy without any carbon footprint um, and I really do have a lot of empathy for the community surrounding the museum uh, who, who feels very blindsided and unheard right. on this project and I can make a promise that as, as city council member I will create working groups where this this community has a real impact on what that project looks like and make sure that they're quality of life is not degraded as a result mm -hmm. of that and especially regarding the park okay. i've worked a long time on that park i spent two years doing a visioning process for that park and the, it's the teddy roosevelt park yes it's very dear to me it's a it's a neighborhood gem and we need to keep it that way yep yep mm -hmm. one, one, one more question and i i know um your your communications officer has kind of given us a wink over here um on your website, you identify yourself as a transgender candidate. Yes. And I'd, I'd like to just talk about that just for a few minutes. Why is that important to your campaign, that we know that you're identifying yourself in this way? Is this important for, your, for the voters to think about who you are as they go to the, the booth and, and make their decision for city council person? Well, that, that's, a, that's a complex answer to that. First of all, I don't think voters should make a decision on the fact that I'm transgender. They should make a decision based on I have the capacity and the, and, and the vision to really serve as a city council member. I know this job, and I care about our schools. I care about our storefronts. I care about our seniors, and I've proven that over a number of years. The fact that I'm transgender speaks to my character as an open and honest person, someone who's gone through difficulties in life and, and you know met those challenges head on. And I have the empathy to know what it feels like to be of a community that is marginalized. And I will serve every single person in this community, regardless of who they are, what their race is, what their age is, what their abilities are. I am someone who understands that all of us are human beings and deserve to live with dignity and with a high quality of life. That's why it's important. Well, that's what you bring. 
That's what I bring. You bring the empathy. I bring the empathy, and the fact that I've had a life journey that's different than most mm-hmm. people adds to that empathy. There is, you know, for me personally, I get messages from all over the country. Thank you for running and mm-hmm. make so much to our family. I have a transgender son. I have a transgender brother. You're making a difference for us. I love that. You right. know, and, I, yeah. and I think we need that representation in public office. But if you're an Upper West Sider, I want you to vote because I know how to fill the storefronts, make our schools have attention for every single child, and make sure that everyone can afford to live here that's been a member of this community for generations. The question uh, hangs out there about our president and his ruling about the military and transgender. I don't even want to go there. It's silly to ask you what you think of it. It's silly to ask about it because it's such a silly idea. It is silly. But it is important. It does go to the fact that, you know, we need people who understand the voice, you know, that understand what's going on Mm -hmm. really. And it's not just a label. Transgender is not a label. It's 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 indicative of a person has really stood up to the challenges of life and had the courage right. to be who they are in the face of no agreement and this is a is a climate where there is absolutely a sense of exclusion and and, and, fear. and, and fear around being different and that's just not okay by me right yeah yeah one more question. What what do you think your chances are in winning this election? Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> I'm really, yeah, I mean, look, I've been out on the streets every day since I announced. It's mm-hmm. been such a joy and an honor to meet the West Siders who have, you know, moved here because they see a promise of a progressive community really working in action, people who've built this community, people who are excited about new leadership in our community mm-hmm. that really brings those values and turns them into action and those actions into results. Um, I'm excited and I think our chances are really good to pull this out. Well, you, you sound you sound fired up, Mr. Warren. I Warmore. am fired yeah. up. Yeah. I'm very excited and I really <laughs> love this community and what it stands for. And I think we, that voice is important right now, especially in the political climate that we're here. Well, Alan and I have been here since 79. Wow. So we are very um, invested in this community. And thank you for your views. Oh, 100%. 100%. And uh, we've been speaking with Mel Wymore. He's running for the city council person for the Upper West Side. We're Bar Crawl Radio, and we're going to be right back. Thank you very much, Mel. Thank you. And where's that Guinness? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Do we have time? Okay, we're back. Um, we're at the Dead Poet on 82nd Street in Amsterdam, broadcasting live. This is Bar Crawl Radio. We're live at Radio 568. And uh, it's time for the community review I, okay, of what's well, going on in the community. I have a problem. What? Oh, I'm my God. I'm not happy with you. Why? We never go out. We you know, we live around the corner. I take you out all the time. Yeah, but we live, we've never gone. You to know what? Cleopatra's you never take me out. No, not really. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm. You know what? Now I'm thinking about it. I'm really angry. <laughs> I'm the one who's aggrieved here. Okay. Well, whatever. I think we should go to the open night mic at Cleopatra's Needle. It's on Wednesday night from seven to eleven, and it's a ten dollar minimum, no cover, and it's. Uh, going to be with the Les Kurtz Trio. The Les Kurtz Trio. Uh, actually, it's, it's Ron Wilkins is singing. Well, it doesn't the say that on the... You know what, by the way, I get this information from Upper West Side uh, Rag. Okay. And I just want to give a shout out. You know, there's so many things that were happening that have kind of ended. You know, um, but we, ha- we have a little sound of Ron Wilkins and the um, Les Kurtz Trio, which I believe... They're going to be at the Cleopatra's Needle. And here, here they are. 
Okay, that's uh, Ron Wilkins and the Les Kurtz Trio. They're going to be playing tomorrow at the open mic uh, at Cleopatra's, Cleopatra's Needle. Needle, which is 92nd Street and, and Broadway. Broadway. They used to be a little further uptown. Did they? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. It's a, I was there last night, and I was listening to uh, John Weiss, the John Weiss Trio, and I got a little sound of him, too, but we can... Play it at play the end. Play, play at the end play of the, uh, the, the end. program, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I talked to him, and um, you know, because we got stuff to do. Because we have, we have, we have other stuff to do. But Cleopatra's Needle is a real gem. Uh, when I was there last night, there was hardly anybody there, mm. and it's this beautiful horseshoe bar. Maybe we could broadcast from there sometime. Yeah, we should. We hardly ever go there. I know. That's what I said. Right, right. But tomorrow night, open mic at Cleopatra's. I think it must be every Wednesday, mm-hmm. or it's tonight. No, tomorrow night. Tomorrow Wednesday night. night. Wednesday night. Wednesday and Sunday nights. Wednesday and Sunday nights. Yes. So uh, check it out. The beer is good. It's cold. It's a little expensive, but you get the you get the music. But I was what I was trying to say before. Yeah. Before you interrupted me, was that there's. Um, I'm always doing like that, aren't the I? Summer, the summer events, you. yeah, that are I go- keep that were you. going on in yeah. the summer have ended, but yeah. you can still go to Riverside Park. There's yoga. There's human chess. There's tai chi. There's um, but. You know, no more movies and and dancing. And well, like yeah, that. you can you can you can dance anytime, like you were dancing earlier right. today. This is Bar Crawl Radio, and we have another guest here. Chris Hoffman has been with us in the past. Well, not on Bar Crawl Radio. You are a neophyte to Bar Crawl Radio, but you um, were with me for No News Media for now. After Mr. Trump, the uh, clown in chief, was elected. Um, that's my term. I know. May- maybe you don't. But Chris is a, uh, a Jungian and a knower of Donald Trump, has um, met him and um, knows people who knows him. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we really w- want to go there, but h- how you doing, Chris? I'm good. Had a great summer. Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, I went to the beach every weekend, went to Connecticut, and did as little as possible. <laughs> What do you do when you're doing as little as possible? What, I mean, no, no one could do nothing. Well, you're reading. Well, or yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, I do meditate a lot. I do different types of meditation. And during the summer, I hike a lot. So I went to a lot of unusual preserves up in Connecticut. And uh, Connecticut also has what's called art farms. So they have farms from different periods of different art movements. Uh, I went to one that was actually the only national park in Connecticut and it's the home of the American Impressionism so huh. it's a, a regular old you know Victorian era farm and each barn belonged to a different um, American Impressionist wow and the Smithsonian has preserved everything as it is as it was so you go and take the tour and they just open the barn doors and there you are back 1890s artist studios wow and who, who, who nice. were the artists that you uh, that were being presented Uh-oh. he doesn't remember Oh, that's all right. That's no, right. Well, the main These are obviously American artists. American artists. Um, the main artist is called Weir Farms. So the main painter. W E I R. Right. Yeah. In Wilton, Connecticut. We can look that and, up. And um, he was an artist, a famous painter in the city, who actually traded a painting for this farm. Huh. And, uh, you know, it's from the middle of nowhere, backwoods. And then he gave each one of his friends access to a different barn. And the American Impressionist movement grew out of that. So, nice, very nice. Yeah. We we uh, also did some hiking up in uh, Wales. Mm-hmm. Well, you and did. I thought I thought you would find this very interesting because I talked to some people about crop circles mm-hmm. and about uh, bo- uh, beams of light in the night, right? And about um, you know flying saucers. I mean, there's a lot of kind of mystical stuff that goes mystical on in, beliefs, in yes. Wales and Wiltshire, England. And I Ireland too. Right. Well, I mean, the main thing there is called the ley lines. Yes. Yes. yes we we exactly. talked about the ley lines. That's the big deal. Yeah. All these things. So yeah, now, there's a lot going on we can't see, and there's a lot going on we don't want to see. So yeah. Right. Do you know of any ley lines in New York City? You know, I don't, but I know that the turn of the last century. A group of monks came from Asia, and they were looking for spiritual hotspots in America. And they found the two hottest spots. Well, the second hottest spot was outside of Santa Fe, but the number one hotspot spiritually in America is the Catskills. Oh, in- interesting. Really? Yeah. And when you go to the Catskills, 
It has the most ashrams of any area in America. Okay. It has the biggest Buddhas. And, uh, you know, outside of Woodstock, Dalai Lama has an ashram, which is really spectacular. Huh. Well, so we, we were in a, a, a place in, we were in, um, a Buddhist retreat. in Swallow Cliff um, in uh, Sal- Salisbury, Salisbury, England. And it was the Tara Stone Buddhist retreat. And it was like a half hour from Stonehenge, which we then went and visit. Um, wow. And so very mystical place. And we spoke with one guy uh, named um, Russell Davis. Mm-hmm. And he played some lovely music in this Tara Stone Buddhist retreat. And talked about those ley lines, right? And how powerful they were. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna podcast more on that, or more on that later. So anything else you did? Um, any books or any? Ex- you, you do experiments too, in um, mystical areas. I know. Well, yeah. I mean, what I do basically is um, I do a lot of psychological research, and then I try to find ways to visualize what I'm doing. So I've been making artwork out of psychological concepts or abstracts or whatnot. And then over the summer, my main focus was uh, illustrating Einstein's concepts and his quotes. Because Einstein has some really amazing quotes. Mm. Can, can you think of an instance? Well, there's that classic one about you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that got you into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah. So that one took me a while to, you know, visualize and work out. Can you describe the visualization that you used for that quote? Well... You can't solve a problem when you use the same solution as you've already had? Right, right. Well, you know, what it basically boiled down to was when you try to solve a problem as your old self, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without sounding too corny, you have to kind of create a new self. So I think that's what he was implying. So I just basically studied, you know, neurotransmitters and different brain functions that enable people to do that. So what the... uh, I mean, be able to kind of remake themselves. Right. Rewire their neuro circuits to solve a problem or just to, you know, solve their life. Now, when you say you are, you're visualizing this or you're actually illustrating, literally illustrating... Uh, illustrating, illustrating. So you use, what medium do you use? I use photo collage and watercolors. Oh, I'd love to see this. We should get it, honey, we should get a picture. Yeah, and, 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 the, and we'll put it up, we'll put up on the website. Yes. Yeah, because clearly uh, we can't put it up on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet. See, yeah. here it is. Not yet. Uh, we're, we're going to get to the Oracle Bowl in a second, but before we get to the Oracle Bowl, and you'll explain what that is, mm-hmm. um, I went to the Jung Foundation, which I understand you kind of hang out there sometimes. Right. Right. And I, I went to the activities page, mm-hmm. and it said, you know, upcoming activities. Right. And I saw a great one, and it was called The Evil Eye, Envy and Jealousy, Their Meaning, Origin and Goal. The Evil Eye. Mm-hmm. Envy, jealousy, their meanings, origin, and goal. And I went, wow, that's great. It's a full-day workshop, Julie Bondanza, $100, not so much. Sound, sounds wonderful. And then I went and looked at the date for this upcoming event, February 2017. Wow. Yeah, the Jung Foundation is living in the past. Oh, my God. Is, is that a sign of what Jungian like, philosophy is? It's like the past is the present? Or well. is it just a mistake? I would think it's a mistake unless they have developed a time travel machine. Ah. <laughs> ah. Well, ah. isn't there something to that? Yeah. And talking about time travel, I think it's time, and I should have had a sound for this. I'm going to add a sound when I, when I, uh, okay. when I edit this. Okay. Um, some kind of for the Oracle Bowl. Right. So um, we're here at the Dead Poet. We're at Bar Crawl Radio. Interesting, it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but people started coming in at 12 and started, you know, pouring out the Guinness. And we're going to have a, uh, we're gonna have a, um, a tasting right in after we... In just a minute. In just a minute. But first I want to... I had a question for the Oracle Bowl. Well, tell us about the Oracle Bowl. I have a question. You said I could ask the well, question. Well, we can ask two questions. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about the Oracle Bowl. A while ago when I was doing this research, I came across different theories about how the mind recognizes patterns. And I started 
just kind of playing with that concept. And then they had read that Burroughs had written a book, which he didn't like, so he cut out all the words and threw them on the floor and then reassembled them into a book. So that was the first time I'd heard about that. And then when I had researched something parallel to that, I'd read other people do similar things. So I thought, well, if you have this pattern recognition system in your brain, it's, you know, a self-preservation um, thing, uh, maybe I could do that with totally irrelevant elements and see if people recognize patterns. So all I did was I took the uh, Webster's American Dictionary, cut all the words out. All of the words? All the words out, so I had the entire English language in a fishbowl. How fish long bowl. did that take you? Two and a half hours. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Must have been the smaller version of the dictionary. Well, I have two. I have um, the smaller version, and I also have the full 250,000 word. So this is clearly the smaller this version. This is the condensed version. Yeah, yeah. And so basically, I just started, um, you know, my neighbors would come over, and I'd tell them, you know, show them this thing, and then let them think about a question or think about something they want clarity on, you know, all those cliches. And then they'd reach in, they'd pull out a word. So what happens is that because we have this pattern recognition system in our head, a certain percentage of the time, people will pull things out and they'll either say, no, this doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no, a little bit. Or they'll say, oh, wow, that's really good. Because, we, because we, we're looking for patterns? Right, or because there actually patterns. is a pattern? We're looking for patterns. We're looking for them. Okay. So, but this, the strange thing is, 30% um, of the time, the people say, wow, this is really pertinent to me. This is, oh my God, shocking. You know, I've heard people like gasp. Right. So I don't know if it's, you know, from pulling the words out on a ley line or, you know, they <laughs> well, just we got back from Stonehenge. Yeah. Or maybe the dead poet uh, bar. Maybe, maybe. maybe they're on a ley line. So let's, let's, try it. let's try it out. Okay. Um, okay. So Becky has a question, and the way it works is Becky's gonna, you're going to think of the question, mm -hmm. right. and then uh, Chris is going to, like, take this great big, like, fishbowl. It's a plastic fishbowl. It's quite huge. I, 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 I can't imagine what people were thinking as you walked over here. <laughs> to the to 82nd Street. Something fishy. Yeah, what's, what's going on with this guy with this big fishbowl with paper in it? And he's going to pull out one of the words. Of course, there's a word on one side and a word on the other side, but whatever, whatever comes out. And then Becky asks the question, or do you do the word? And, no, she'll ask the question. Well, she'll think of the question first. Yes. Visualize it if possible. There you go. I'll pull the word out, read yeah. it to you, let it percolate for a second, and then you can tell us the question. And then tell us the question. Okay, she's thinking, she's got her eye closed, she's concentrating, both of, both of them, concentrating, Chris is reaching into the oracle bowl, he's kind of sifting out, he's feeling the ley line that's going to cross that piece of paper, and he's come up with something, and here it is, and the word Chris is, this is, this is anticipating here, hydraulics. 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 Hydraulics, that's the use of uh, water? Water to create power. To create power. Yeah. Oh, well, water is a liquid, right? Yes, water is liquid. Well, my question was, would Bar Crawl Radio be successful? Ah. So. There's a pattern there. It's the power of liquid. Well, I also think the taps work on a hydraulic system. Do don't they? they? Don't they? Oh, and okay. Pressurized, yeah. Pressurized water. There, yeah. there we go. So they have pumps here that, pumps. that bring up the beer. That's a hydraulic system. That's hydraulics. So I would say that's affirmative. I would say there's a pattern there. It's a power of... It's nothing of we're making up. The power of the tap. And your last guest was an engineer. That's right. And he was an engineer. That's yeah. right. Oh, my God. Okay. He is an engineer. Right. Oh so, so it's like, wh what does this mean? It means that we, we find patterns. Some people really want to be contacted by another dimension or something. Yeah, I do. So I yeah. think there's a, a, a human, it's part of human nature to look outside yourself for answers. Okay. And, yep. you know. yeah. Well, I, I have a question that yeah. I want an answer to because it's really important. I'm going to think. Okay. And then, so I'll do one more. Okay. And then we'll have the beer tasting uh, okay. here from the, from right. the uh, dead and then poet. And then one more thing after that, honey. What's that? Uh, I've added something to the program, but you go ahead. You can surprise me. Okay. All right, I'm thinking. I'm thinking now. All right. <laughs> Don't peek. I'm not peeking. <laughs> you got to fill in. you got to fill in here while I'm thinking. 
Oh, okay. Closing my eyes. I can't see where the microphone is. Alan has his uh, eyes closed. Uh, He looks like he's in pain. Tactical. Interesting. Tactical. That is in. I'm pounding on the bar. This is interesting. Ouch, ouch, ouch. All right, my question was, are we going to war with North Korea? Oh. Ooh. 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 The, The Oracle Bowl is hot. Hot. Oh my God. Tactical. That's tactical. interesting. So there's going to be some kind of a tactical. I don't know. Confluence. Critical and tactical. It's oh, oh wow. I I I I'm I'm getting chills hmm. just sitting here. It could be because the air conditioning is is Boy, too I high. I hope there's no ley lines in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. I we we, we got to go away from this. This is just too weird. It's a little, Hydraulic yeah, it's and tactical. Um, we have three beers here. We I'm, I'm going to run get Alex and see yeah. if she can tell us what Alex the beers has to are. Come down and, and tell us what these beers are. In the meantime, I'm going to play a little music from someone who is very spiritual, and this is Russell Davies from Tarastone. Okay, we're back. Alex is the bartender here at the Dead Poet, and she has pulled out three beers for us to, to look at on tap. Chris and Becky and I are going to taste the beer and um, see what's going on. So what, what, what do we have here, Alex? Yes, okay, so first things first is the Bronx Summer Pale Ale. Okay, uh, is this is a new beer that you've had here? Or is yeah, it yeah, it's fairly new this summer. Uh, the Bronx uh, brewery is basically known for its pale ale, so now they've made a summer version of it with a hint of lemon. So if you taste a little citrus, that's what it is, like a little bit of lemon peel. Uh, and yeah, it's really good. It's my favorite. All right, so maybe we should just start with that. Okay. Just so we keep things. So this is the Bronx... Summer. Summer ale with a little citrusy taste. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Beck, give, give it a try. And we'll, we'll kind of we'll pass it around and see what's going on here. We have... Uh, half pint, and we're going to... I like it. You like it? I do. So um, the Bronx Summer Ale. And I'll just turn We're, we're kind of moving bit. past the summer into the fall. Are yes, you but it's it's still technically summer. Yeah. So, Alex, are you going to... Um, and uh, Mr. Wymore is just leaving, so uh, we're going to say bye as he steps out of the dead poet. And we're tasting the Bronx Summer Ale, and uh, Chris is going to pass think, it over Chris? to me. It's uh, light, and it's almost... has a touch of cidery taste yeah. to me yeah so it's good for the autumn too yeah that's why we've been keeping it on we'll, mo- we'll probably keep it on um till the beginning mm. of october the first week and then we're switching up to like Oktoberfest. we'll probably transfer that over to the brooklyn Oktoberfest, which is pretty popular uh and it's local so we like to keep local on tap it's, too. It, it's very nice it has a kind of an aftertaste too kind of like wine yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah so i mean like guinness has that kind of chocolatey aftertaste yeah this kind of has a nice little taste too and it's not <coughs> for people who don't like really really bitter wine i mean bitter beer it's not too bitter i mean it's not really bitter at all so it's yeah. quite good so this is the bronx summer ale mm-hmm. at the dead poet and it's on tap so you can get on tap. What's our second choice here? So our second, it is the Dead Poet Pilsner, which is actually the Lion's Head Pilsner, uh, which is located in Pennsylvania. And they gave us permission to switch the names so we can call it the Dead Poet Pilsner. <laughs> um, it is the lightest one that we have on draft. Uh, I like to give it to people that just want a little, you know, a lighter beer instead of Stella. Can't, can't take the dark stuff, yeah. so, so you give them this stuff. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, the Dead Poet Pilsner. So, Beck, give it a, give it a taste there. Okay, and we'll so this uh, would be me, that I would be the one ordering this because I do like a light beer. The light, crispy beer. We were just in Ireland, and they're serving a, a thing called Smittix with a head of Guinness. And uh, we, we asked for it here at the Dead Poet. You had never heard of it, but it seems to be big over there. Smittick with a head of Guinness. Yeah. 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 All right. So Chris is clearing his palate. <laughs> That's nice. That he, one. He, kno- by the he way. knows how to taste beer. And it is a nice light choice. And he's tasting it and tell us, I'm, I'm drinking this Bronx uh, summer ale. It's mm. good. No, you. Wow. It's very good. It's very smooth. I want that one. Alan. It's a good drinking beer. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you can drink this. <laughs> it is a good drink of beer. So you just stop drinking. So you yeah. can, do, do you know no, what the alcohol content is on this one? On the Dead Poet? 4.5. The Poet Pilsner from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's not a lot going on here for me. Um, yeah. No. It's, um, you like a more robust It's like, you know, you, if I have to drink a lot, I guess I'll drink this. And, yeah. You know. That's, that's a beer you Wait a minute. Get, get on the mic. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's a that's a beer usually when um, you're at the end of the night or at the end of the day. You want right. a beer, but you don't want a heavy one, so you just right. go with that one because it's easier. You want to get it down. You want to yeah, go to sleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's a good one for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the dead poet Pilsner, which was something else before, is that, but that doesn't make any difference. It doesn't right? make any difference. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the last one is the traditional Guinness. Now this is um, we we they don't pour a half pint of Guinness. They only pour a pint here. So we've got the full pint. Yes, and so we you have drank to respect the Guinness in yeah, that we, favor. Do, we do have to respect. We drank Guinness all over Ireland, and I fell in love with Guinness over there. Yeah. Um, and how would you say your Guinness compares to, had you been over to Dublin? Have you been over to no, Dingle? I have, or? See, I've never been to Dublin, but I we do get a lot of people that have been to Dublin. Or like you guys recently that have gone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over there. And... Um, a lot of people say that ours tastes very authentic mm-hmm. to over there. Mm-hmm. A lot of other places, they don't really know how to pour Guinness, to be honest. That's you know, the big thing is the pour. Yeah. The, the, the story that we, we're telling many times is my friend, we were at the ferryman in Dublin, right on the Liffey River, mm-hmm. and he picked up his pint of Guinness before it was done. Yeah. And the barman ran over, pulled it away from him, finished it, and then brought it back. <laughs> They're very professional over there. Yeah, we try to do the same as... Sorry, we try to do the same as well, um, and also the uh, we try to always put a shamrock on top of the Guinness. All right, we didn't get we a shamrock. No, 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 we couldn't get it. it uh, you did, but it just like it, it settled in. in a bit more. Yeah, yeah. So it's gonna get caught in my throat when I gobble this. Maybe. Down. Yeah. All right, <laughs> we to be. No, we just try to draw a shamrock on top when it. Ah, you, dr- you, yeah, you yeah, oh, yeah, you draw the shamrock. Yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. put a shamrock. No, in. we don't put a shamrock because <laughs> it wouldn't there wouldn't be any room for the beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked to a barman. It takes three years. For them to be qualified to pour Guinness. Now, I don't know and if you that's don't true. And you don't call them bartenders. They're barmen. They're barmen. barmen. So barmen. You're, you're a barman. And they go to school. Or a barmaid. Bar-maid. Yeah. Bar person. Right. So, Chris, what do you, how do you like the Guinness? Wait, I, you didn't, oh, you know, know, I, didn't, I didn't try it. I didn't try it. Yes, actually, I have a Guinness question. Oh, a Guinness question. Yes. Yeah. My Hopefully friend, I can answer. <laughs> my friend Dana told me that Guinness is actually low calories. Yes, it is 125 calories. Wow. Yeah. In taste, yeah, it, in total. Um, in taste, it is, some people do describe it as being heavier, but it's actually pretty light in calories. So, And also, we have a lot of runners, a lot of people that run the marathon mm-hmm. and half marathons, and they love Guinness. They yep. drink it here all the time. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I, I found the Guinness, you could drink a pint, two pints, and it's like you feel good. And, you, and it's like it, it almost takes care of your hunger. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. almost like it's this like a meal. meal. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Wow. And um, and it's also beautiful when it's correctly poured. See, I, I like you. Maybe we let it sit here too long, but I like to pour when the head, that white creamy thing, yeah. kind of comes up over the top, mm-hmm. and then you drink it, and it kind of gets caught in your mustache. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You kind of <laughs> suck it off later, but that's all disgusting. But that's how I like to drink it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's taste it. Let's taste the Guinness. All right. Let's see okay, what they well, do. Well, I just tasted it. And it was, uh, I really found it to be very, very similar to what we tasted in, in Ireland. And it has what I call a coffee flavor. Yeah. And that to me was, you know, that's the same taste I got in Ireland. All right, what do you think, Chris? Chris? Well, it, it's like slightly light and slightly nutty. Or has sort of a bean, or, I mean maybe like coffee, but yeah. it has some sort of undertone of uh, roasted because I guess the barley's roasted or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think it'd be, a good, uh, it'd be a good breakfast beer. Yeah, for sure. Yes, it is very um, similar to what we got in Dublin and on the west coast of Ireland. It's very similar. There's something else going on. Ah, um, but it's really good. I mean, it really has that... It, it really, yeah, it's, it's very, very similar to that. I mean, wh- where do you get your Guinness from? Does it come from Ireland? I'm not where too where sure. I know the the uh, the distributor is Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, I know it's located here, but uh, whether it's made over there or yeah, it's kind yeah. of like <laughs> processed here, it is a beautiful glass of beer. I don't think you're going to find a more beautiful 
glass of beer when it's poured and you got that head and that creamy head on it it's something you can look at a little bit before you drink you just don't oh, yeah. you just don't swallow it down because it's a it's a piece of art guinness is its own thing and we learned about that thank you very much alex what do you, are, you, are you a full-time bartender uh full-time for now yeah, yeah what yeah. else do you do I'm working mostly on my YouTube page. I'm creating a wrestling YouTube page. I'm a huge wrestling fan back in the like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man kind of days. So I'm working on that. It's a work in progress right now. The It'll be called Queen of the Ring. All right. Maybe you can use Bar Crawl Radio and we can combine oh, yeah. our combine our resources here. Yes, that'd be a lot and of do fun. A, do a wrestler um, a mania <laughs> interview fest here at the Dead Poet. Thank you very much, Alex. Oh, you're great. very welcome. It was great talking to you. All right, this is Bar Crawl Radio. We're on Radio 568 here. We've been talking to Alex, the bartender here at the Blue at the Dead Poet, and um, Chris Hoffman, and we had a nice conversation and a very informative conversation with Mel Wymore, who's running for the city council. Find us on Radio568.com or go to at Bar Crawl Radio on Twitter. And so right now we're going to do a little bit of reading of poetry. We're at the Dead Poet, something from Asher. We're going to be reading something that's called the Oracle Bowl Haiku. And we're also going to be reading something from uh, Becky's brother who died some time ago, who was a poet. 95. Wrote some some wonderful things. And we're going to hear uh, some stuff from Jackie McKean. Jack McKean, who our grandson is named named after. Yes. Jack McKean. Uh, So why don't we start with Jack's work? All right. All right. Jack McKean. This is called Reasons. With the thought of a wife five years deceased, he put his fist through the kitchen window. It was not an act of remorse. In fact, he'd long since stopped mourning her. And only last night he'd known the warmth of the body of the wife he loved much better. He couldn't honestly say he regretted the death of the previous wife, nor was it guilt that he felt. Although... It was perhaps an anger of sorts, or a fear, a something silent, screaming inside. There were no images in the glass. It was nothing. It was there. And that's Jack McKean, and the title of the poem is... Reasons. Reasons brother of uh, Becky McKean Winson. My and beloved I, brother. And now we're going to hear... he was definitely a poet. He, <coughs> was, he was a poet, and he was a great guy. And our grandson is named after him. Yes. Now we're going to hear a bit of haiku from the Oracle Bowl, and this is going to be read by uh, Chris. What he did was he pulled out nine pieces of paper, uh, each with a word on them, and he's going to put them together into a haiku created just in this moment from the dead, in the dead poet. Okay, yeah, this is Oracle Bowl. Well, I call it Loku. So, <laughs> okay, Loku. Molten Quasar Sprocket. Purely drumming gratitude. Stopping co ed cab. Hmm. There's something kind of uh, interesting about that. Yeah. Really? I love the co ed cab. cab. Yes. It's interesting. The C's stay together it. there. We had some alliteration going on. Coed cab. Yeah. All right. Don't don't throw that away. I want to look at that again. But I, I have one I'm going to read. This is John Asher. John Ash Asher. Ashbury. Asbury. Asbury. Asbury Sorry. was Sorry. Uh, died just recently. A great American poet, and we just out of um, you know respect for him, I thought I'd give a, um, a kind of an attempt to read one of his poems. And here goes. I feel the carousel starting slowly and going faster and faster. Desk, papers, books, photographs of friends, the window and the trees, merging in one neutral band that surrounds me on all sides, everywhere I look. And I cannot explain the action of leveling, why it should all boil down to one uniform substance, a magma of interiors. Okay, John Ashbury. I like that one. I like it. It made sense to me, but then I'm a little they bit crazy. They say he's hard, but I, I, I thought that was very lovely. This is Bar Crawl Radio, and we're 
are coming to you from the Dead Poet. Uh, we're sitting here with Chris Hoffman and Becky McCain. We just spoke with Mel Wymore. This is our third bar crawl, bar crawl program. A new one's coming up pretty soon. Um, just editing it together right now. It's uh, Bar Crawl International, our trip through Wales and Ireland and the pubs there. And uh, we thank the Dead Poet. We thank uh, KC and, and John, John and Alex and Alex for uh, hosting us here. And um, and thank you, everyone. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. And we'll be coming to you again soon. Bar Crawl Radio on Radio 568. Ta. Yeah, we're